0: I did wonder for a moment whether I could jump up there without going the long way around and then decided I might make a real fool of myself and fall over. Lovely to be with you this morning, friends, and I have the opportunity of sharing God's word with you today. And uh, already I feel encouraged because every song that has been sung in one way or another has touched on my general theme. And that leads me to believe that the Lord's in control and that I'm on the right lines. Let's have a word of prayer together. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy and goodness toward us. We've taken the bread and the wine and in doing so we have remembered again the sufferings and death that our Savior endured for us on Calvary's cross. Bearing shame and mocking rude in my place, condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. We say hallelujah. What a Savior. Father, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for all that It signifies. We thank you that through the shed blood of our Savior, we can know the forgiveness of sin and peace with you and eternal life. Guide and direct our thoughts, we pray now. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. I'm going to read to you uh, some verses from a little book in the Old Testament the prophecy of Habakkuk. You'll find it near the end of the Old Testament. It's one of that group of books known as the Minor Prophets. Not minor because they're less important than other prophetic writings, but minor only in the sense that each of these books is short, only two or three chapters. The book of Habakkuk is one of these. I'm going to read four verses from the beginning of chapter 1, four verses from the beginning of chapter 2, and then two or three verses at the very end of chapter 3. The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. O Lord, how long shall I cry, and thou wilt not hear? even cry out unto thee of violence, and thou wilt not save. Why dost thou show me iniquity, and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me, and there are those that raise up strife and contention. Therefore the law is slacked, and judgment doth never go forth, for the wicked doth compass about the righteous, therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. And chapter 2, verse 1, I will stand upon my watch, and set me upon the tower, and will watch to see what he will say unto me, and what I shall answer when I am reproved. And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision, and make it plain upon tables, that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. And then over to the 17th verse of chapter 3. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength and he will make my feet like hinds feet and he will make me to walk upon mine high places to the chief singer on my stringed instruments. Amen. Lord, guide our thoughts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to begin by describing Habakkuk as a prophet with a problem. He tells us in the very first verse of the book that carries his name that he has a burden. The burden which Habakkuk, the prophet, did see. As he looked at the world in which he lived he saw something which troubled and perplexed him And weighed very heavily upon his heart. What was the problem? He was an Israelite. And he believed, rightly so, that his people had been specially chosen by God. God had blessed them in the past in all sorts of wonderful ways. He had delivered them from slavery, Provided for them miraculously in times of need. And had made wonderful promises to them. They were special to God. Habakkuk understood this. And they had a unique destiny among the nations of the world. But they were suffering. An enemy called in this book the Chaldeans otherwise known to us as the Babylonians, were attacking them. They were coming into their country in armed gangs, destroying their crops, stealing their cattle, killing their people, and carrying others off into slavery. They were desperate, dark days for Israel. We know that about 20 or so years After the time that Habakkuk was writing, these terrible events came to a climax when under the leadership of King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians totally destroyed the city of Jerusalem and led away into slavery, the finest and best of its population. Habakkuk is living in the midst of this. And it causes him deep concern. Why would God allow his people to suffer in this way? And especially, why would God allow such evil, cruel, and violent people as the Babylonians to oppress his own special people? asking the question that I guess all of us have asked at one time or another. When we're faced with some of the complexities and difficulties and sorrows of life that question that summed up in one little three letter word why? Habakkuk a man of God sees evil people Oppressing the righteous. He sees an evil nation. Dominating and destroying. The people of God. And he says Lord. Why are you allowing this to happen? Why do good people suffer? Why do those who love the Lord. Have to endure all kinds of trials and tribulations in this life? Maybe for us, as for Habakkuk of old, our sufferings or those of other godly people around us have become a burden to us because we simply cannot understand why God is allowing it to happen. If that's how you feel, if there's a big why in your life, can I recommend that you do what Habakkuk did in these circumstances? I said, first of all, he was a prophet with a problem. Secondly, I discover he's a prophet with a prayer because he does what every child of God Ought to do in dark and difficult days, he takes it to the Lord in prayer. He comes before God. He says, Lord, why are you allowing this to happen? I do recommend to your friends that in dark times, especially, Seek the face of the Lord. Turn to him. But I have a little warning to add. Sometimes God's answer is not what we expect. I think very often when we pray, we already have in our minds a pretty clear idea of what we want God to do for us. If you've been doing much praying over many years, you'll have realized sometimes God's answers are not just what we expect. And that is exactly what happened with Habakkuk. He was deeply burdened, he was concerned about the state of the world around him, and he couldn't understand what God was doing. And he prayed. And he prayed earnestly. And no doubt he prayed long. He says in the beginning of chapter 2, I'm going to be like a man who goes into a watchtower. And I'm going to stay in that watchtower, metaphorically speaking of, of course, until God sends me the answer. I'm going to keep on praying and keep on looking until the answer comes. And the answer did come. But it wasn't what he expected. He had asked God, why are you allowing all this evil to happen to our nation? God said, Habakkuk, I'm not simply allowing it to happen. I'm causing it. Habakkuk, I think, Imagine that God was sitting back and allowing the Babylonians to do their evil work. That God was simply passive and inactive in the situation. But God says to him, No, Habakkuk, I'm not just sitting back and allowing this to happen. I am actually causing it. He says in chapter 1, I raise up the Chaldeans. I'm doing it. The Chaldeans, we're told, in this little book, were offering sacrifices to their heathen gods and praising their heathen gods for giving them victory over Israel and many other nations. They were giving the credit for their military success to their idols. God says to Habakkuk, I'm doing it. I am empowering them to attack you. To cause all the damage and all the misery and all the trouble that you're seeing around you. I think you can well imagine. that If Habakkuk had a problem before, he had an even greater problem now. Utterly mystified he says Lord you are of purer eyes than to behold evil and canst not look on iniquity Lord you're so holy you can't even look upon wickedness that's right and yet God is telling him that he is raising up this evil godless people To attack Israel. What's the answer to the riddle? Well in a sense friends. It's quite easy for us. To see what the answer is. Because we have the advantage. Of living. Two and a half thousand years or so. Afterwards. And with the advantage. Of historical perspective. We can look back and we can see. And understand what was going on. But for Habakkuk living right in the middle of it, it was just utterly incomprehensible. Often, it's only afterwards, when we look back on a situation, maybe months or even years afterwards, that we really understand what God was doing in those days when we were mystified. You find yourself going through some dark and difficult time. And the enemy whispers in your ear, if God really loved you and cared for you, he wouldn't allow that to happen to you. If God was really involved in your life, you wouldn't be going through such disaster. But we need to remember, the enemy is a liar. The Bible says he's the father of lies and has been a liar from the beginning. And one obvious thing I've learned in life is if you know somebody has a reputation for telling lies, when they come and spin some yarn to you, you simply don't believe them. And when Satan comes and whispers to us, God doesn't love you. God doesn't care for you. God doesn't see. Remember, the one who whispers that in your ear is a proven liar. In the middle of a situation, it's so often hard to see what is happening. Hard to understand the plan and purpose of God. Other Christian friends come to us and reassure us, God is in control. God is looking after the situation. He loves you. He cares for you. And as good Christians, we nod our heads and say, Yes, but somewhere inside... There's that little sense of anxiety or fear. Maybe God doesn't really care for me. Habakkuk has a problem. He's prayed and things are more confusing than they were at the beginning. He's Persisted in prayer, standing as it were upon that metaphorical watchtower to wait and see what God will say. Looking back at the situation, we can see the answer. God was using the Chaldeans to oppress the people of Israel in order to draw them back to himself from a backslidden state. They were far from God, although they were his chosen people. They were living in rebellion and disobedience and idolatry. And God had raised up the Chaldeans or the Babylonians to afflict them with the specific purpose of drawing them back to Himself. And looking at the situation two and a half thousand years later on, I can see that. It's plain. Not a Habakkuk, who was living in the midst of it. He's a prophet with a with a problem. Summed up in that little word, why? He's a prophet with a prayer. He prays and he persists in prayer, even though he is even more troubled by the answer than he was before. But thirdly, he's a prophet with a promise. As far as I can see, God never explained himself to Habakkuk. When Habakkuk prayed, I'm sure that what he wanted from God was a nice, clear answer to the problem. Habakkuk, you're worried about this. Here's the answer, point one, point two, point three, point four. That's what he wanted, a lovely, clear answer. God explaining himself in detail. If You're like me. When we're going through hard times and we pray, that's pretty much what we want. We want God to explain himself. To tell us why. To detail the answer, step by step, so that we understand what's going on. Friends, the Almighty is not obliged to explain himself, to you or me. Sometimes in mercy and grace, he does. Oftentimes, he does. But that doesn't mean that he doesn't answer us. That doesn't mean that he has nothing to say to us. This was the case with Habakkuk. He prayed. He didn't receive the explanation that he wanted. But from God's gracious hand, he received a wonderful, wonderful promise. It's found in chapter 2 and verse 14. God says to Habakkuk, for the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Habakkuk, You are concerned about the affairs of one tiny nation. I want you to know, says God, that a day is coming when my glory will cover the whole earth. In that day it will not just be the Chaldeans who acknowledge my sovereign power. But in that day every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess my authority. Habakkuk, you're worried about Israel. You're asking why. But I want you to know that there's a day coming when my majesty and my power and my glory will cover the entire earth and every nation will be subject to me. Friends, sometimes it can look to us as if the devil is winning, as if he's in control and everything is going his way. But that is not so. He is a defeated enemy. Calvary has ensured that. When we took the bread and the wine a few moments ago, we were reminding ourselves in the biblical way of what Jesus our Savior endured for us upon Calvary's cross. We were reminding ourselves of his suffering and death that are the means of our redemption. The fulfillment of the divine purpose from all eternity. Satan did everything throughout the whole history of Israel and throughout the earthly life of our Savior to make Calvary impossible. Because he knew, he understood. That when Jesus died and rose again in the power of an endless life, he was doomed. Oh, he's still busy. He's still active across the world at this time and will be until Jesus comes again. But his ultimate doom and destruction are assured. It looks sometimes as if he's winning. God is sovereign. And to Habakkuk, in the midst of the darkness of his dark hour, God doesn't explain himself in detail. But he assures his servant, I'm in control. I'm sovereign. Dear friend this morning, if you are going through a dark hour now, I want to remind you on the authority of God's word that the Lord is sovereign in your circumstances. During your life here on this earth, you may never have a full and detailed explanation of why. Habakkuk never knew why. I think it's probable that Job in the fullest sense, never really understood why. But like many other servants of God that we're told about in Scripture, they were given wonderful and assuring promises of God's sovereign power. He was a prophet with a promise. He was also a prophet with a new perspective. See, God offered Habakkuk a new way of looking at things. He invites him to view the world and his own circumstances through the eye of faith. And this is summed up in the little phrase in verse 4 of chapter 2. The just shall live by his faith. Those words are repeated in Romans chapter 1 verse 17. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 11. And in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 38. The just shall live by. A little over 500 years ago. Martin Luther. nailed a document. Usually called the 95 Theses to the church door in the little German town of Wittenberg and set in motion what has become known as the Reformation, the greatest revival in the history of the Christian church. Luther emphasized four great truths, that Christ alone is the head of the church, that scripture alone is our ultimate and final authority, that grace alone is our means of salvation. And that faith alone is the key to justification. And that last is summed up as justification by faith. We are saved by faith in the finished work of Christ. What does the apostle say? Not of works, lest any man should boast. We're Saved by faith. There's not one of us here this morning who is saved, who has been saved on any other basis than faith in the finished work of Christ. You can be religious without that. You can be devout and moral and good living and all these things without that. But you cannot be saved without faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith alone is the key to justification. Friends, not only are we saved by faith, we are called to live by faith as well. Faith is not just the gateway to salvation, it is the key to the whole life of a believer. God's message to Habakkuk could be put something like this Habakkuk, you don't understand why things are happening the way that they are. Don't fret. Don't let your failure to understand become a burden to you. Learn to trust me. Habakkuk live by faith. Dear friends, this is one of the greatest and at the same time one of the hardest lessons any of us can learn. To trust even when we do not understand sing about it. We Preach about it. Some of us do anyway. Some people write books about it. But the hardest thing of all is to put what we sing and preach and write about into practice. To do what God told Habakkuk to do. To live by faith. You are going through a dark time today. I want to tell you God's word to you this morning. Live by faith. You may never understand the reasons why. God may never in this life explain Himself to you. But you still have the wonderful opportunity of trusting him. A prophet with a problem. A prophet with a prayer. A prophet with a promise. God says, my glory shall cover the whole earth. A prophet with a new perspective. He is being taught to see as one who lives by faith. Finally, a prophet who praises. The book begins with a burden, with a problem. With a man in deep despair as he looks at his circumstances and the world around him. It begins with a man who feels that somehow the powers of evil are prevailing. And God is doing nothing and seems to be incapable of helping. It begins like that. It doesn't end like that. The lesson of faith is learned. And the book ends on a note of praise. Habakkuk has learned to live by faith. And at the very end of this little book, he declares that no matter what happens in the future, he will trust in God. Now Habakkuk lives in a farming community. where Crops and cattle and sheep are the source of everyone's livelihood. But in the very last verses of this little book, he declares that even if the worst that he can imagine happens, the crops fail, the vines wither, the cattle and sheep die, even in these disastrous circumstances, he is still going to trust the Lord. Someone here feels that everything and everyone you have depended upon have let you down. Be encouraged. The Lord is with you. If you know Jesus as Savior and belong to him, he has promised never to leave you or forsake you. He has said that he will be an ever-present help in time of trouble. So trust him. As we saw a moment ago, salvation begins with faith. We're justified by faith. Made right with God by faith. Habakkuk further reminds us that all of life for the Christian is a life of faith. Trusting even when we do not understand. Because God is I suppose if one were trying to find a, a subsidiary title for this little book of Habakkuk you could call it Through Trouble to Trust or perhaps you could call it From Problems to Praise but whatever title you choose to apply to it that's the journey that Habakkuk took he began as a man We might say in deep despair and depression. A man who was overwhelmed by everything around him that seemed so wrong. A man who felt that God somehow had failed him and failed his nation. But as he turns to God in prayer, he gets something better than he hoped for. He hoped for a nice clear answer. God explaining himself. Well, that might have been nice. What he got was better. He got the assuring word that God is in sovereign control of every life, of every situation, of every community, of every nation, of this whole world. And that includes your life and mine. Hallelujah. God is sovereign. He got that assurance. And he was given the Instruction, the guidance. The secret to blessing is to live by. So at the very end, he says, I've learned the lesson to trust. And even if the worst that I can think of happens, if everything imaginable goes wrong, I'm still going to trust the Lord. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Well, I can take a hint as well as the next man. And the arrival of these young people tells me it's time for me to stop. And I was going to stop anyway, so that's just as well. Friends, let's trust the Lord. Read the little book for yourself when you go home. And see how many wonderful promises are there. Don't ask God to explain himself to you. Sometimes he does, but often he doesn't. But trust him. Loves you. Jesus died for you. There is an eternal hope for you. And even when we go through the valley of the shadow of death, what do we read? I am there. Hallelujah. Thanks for listening. The Lord bless you.